Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Solomon Briss discussing coding and some of the work that he's been doing in the realm of Kotlin. Hi, Solomon, and welcome to the show. Hi, Hadi. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming on. Now, for just to make it very, very clear, Codein, we are not talking about the drug, right? We're talking about the dependency injection framework. I just want to get that out of the way in case someone's like, oh, am I on the wrong podcast here? Well, uh, the it, it it was on purpose. The name was, of course, on purpose. The 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 word the the word confusion. But no, and we're talking about the frame the multi platform framework to be uh, to to be clear. It, the the dependency injection library is part of that framework, but uh, yeah, it's not the drug. It, yeah, that that's the important thing to uh, point out. And it's spelt with a K, probably one of the good times where it's good to replace the C with a K, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of the norm in uh, the Kotlin realm, oh, I but know. Uh, this time it actually makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so and it's interesting because you said it's... Uh, it's the framework and not just dependency injection. And, and we'll get to that uh, because that's definitely not the impression that I got when I uh, first looked at it. But um, it's good that you point that out. We can, we can, we can discuss that. But uh, let's start. So uh, now you've been in the Kotlin realm community slash whatever you want to call it for a number of years, right? I mean, when did you start with Kotlin? Um. So yeah, I, I like to call it the Kotlin community because I, I think that's what it is. And I've been with Kotlin pretty much since the start. Can't remember exactly when, but uh, it should have been somewhere around 2014 or 15 maybe, or not, not 14, definitely. I think it was early 2014. So would you be able to wear the t-shirt that says, I was using Kotlin when they were called traits? Yes, I would definitely. And I actually, it, it was fun times because you know it was it was a time where the Kotlin team made change to the syntax like every other week. Um, we had a very little notice, so every two weeks we had to rewrite uh, rewrite. No, we had to refactor our entire code base. And yeah, I definitely saw the change between uh, traits and interfaces. Yeah. I, now I just we need to actually get that T-shirt done because I would wear it as well. But hey, we don't yeah. have it. And yeah. you've been using Kotlin in production since when? Well, since early 2014, actually, I, I started using Kotlin in production from the beginning. For what? For mobile or for server side or for what? First for for mobile for for a year it was only for an Android application and then we used it also on a server. Oh, nice! And what was that with? Was it with Spring or was it just homegrown stuff? No, it was homegrown stuff. I've, uh, I, 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 it was very simple server with very simple task and we didn't want to bring an entire framework into it, so we we used Jetty to to have a to to have a base and then we used. Kotlin and and do everything by hand. Right. And that was the time that you decided I need a new dependency injection framework or did this come up uh, later on? No, it, it, it came up very early. Um, 
at first it was uh, if it was for android so uh, coding the dependency injection library I, I i started to work on it before we even started using kotlin on the server side right and so recently i was doing a show with with the author of coin and we were discussing like you know coin as a dependency injection framework and and the reasons that uh he decided to come up with it and, you know, to, to make this very, very balanced. And, and afterwards, you can tell me a little bit about how you feel different coding to coin. But what was your reason for coming up with a DI framework in Kotlin? Okay, so when when I started doing Kotlin, it, it, it was very early on and um, and there were the... the, the the, sorry, annotation processing wasn't even available in Kotlin back then. So uh, we had two choices to 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 do cut, to do dependency injection in a Kotlin uh, in a Kotlin project. It was either to use a very uh, very very heavy stuff such as juice so it has a very it's very runtimey and it's it's very expensive or we could use uh we could use dagger which was the one at the time i believe dagger 2 was not in production yet and it required to have all the dependency injection stuff written in java because it used annotation processor and it wasn't available in kotlin and furthermore, I firmly believed that even though um, annotation processing was going to be available on Kotlin, it using Dagger is a hassle. It's it's very complicated and it's not readable. And I've always loved the idea of DSLs. I've always liked the idea to have a language that clearly defines what you what you what you want to do so i really enjoyed kotlin and i like the dsl features namely the infix methods and the rayfied uh, rayfied generics which basically allows to use genericity but at compile time uh, reflection but at compile time so uh, i thought there was something to be done to be easier uh, than Dagger and to be maybe lighter than Juice. So that's how Codein was born. So one of the questions that I have is when I see, and, and I kind of asked this also from uh, when we we're talking about coin, you know, coming from a .NET world and, and having used dependency injection there, it was very much kind of being able to essentially have constructors and not have to worry about passing in instances and having all of this configured on the side and all of that was using annotations and reflection, etc. Now with coding, I'm assuming that it, you follow the kind of similar approach to coin in that really you don't, you're, you're not using any kind of annotation, you're not using reflection, you're essentially having a DSL where people create new instances of the things they need, correct? Yes, and actually that's one of the differences with coin is, is that 
coding do use reflection in some corner cases, in some complicated cases. If you do simple stuff with coding, then there won't be any reflection. If you do more complicated stuff on coding, then there probably will be a bit of reflection. Right. But when I have a class, because I'm, I'm reading through the documentation, you, you have actually two types of uh, methods in which you can link in dependencies. Uh, maybe you could start with explaining those because I hear that there's one that's called injection and another one that is retrieval. Can you tell us the difference about these two? Well, it, it, it's, a, it's a point of view, actually. It's if, do you need, uh, do you want your class to be completely independent from coding or do, or, or, or do, or, or is it okay to have your class use directly coding? Because you can ask coding for an instance and there's a very easy syntax that uses property delegates and then you just have to say either by coding.instance or by instance if your class uh, implements an interface uh, which is called coding aware but that means that your class needs to be aware of coding even by being coding aware the interface or by having a coding object to access to and to 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 use coding dot instance. And sometimes you need to write classes that are not linked to coding because maybe you'll export them or maybe you just want to write stuff in a way that is independent, independent from the DI library. And for that, you can use the, you can give the parameters to the constructors and then uh, every dependency will pass will be passed to the constructor and so the class will receive the dependencies when it's constructed and so it don't need to know where it comes from and that's injection so is it fair to say that also because i mean looking at the examples you are using for the first one which is the injection you're using uh class uh, constructor parameters whereas for retrieval you're using properties so would it be fair to say that you're drawing the distinction in between dependencies being passed in via the constructor versus uh, via properties as how you call injection versus retrieval? Yes, to me, it all it all depends on where the responsibilities of fetching dependency lies. Does it is it uh, is it the class responsibility? So it's what I call retrieval. The class will retrieve its own dependencies, or is it the whoever creates the class to inject the dependencies? And to that, I call that dependency injection. So I take a look at this, right? Because you know, coming from even in the olden days that we had like XML to to configure your dependencies. Yeah, I, I used to have this yeah. XML file, and then I could tweak that to change instances. Yeah. Here, yeah. <laughs> Here, I'm I'm writing code, right? And there's a big argument against like why so much dependency injection frameworks. Why can't I just write new? And which in Kotlin you wouldn't even write new. Like, what are the benefits that you're providing me on using something like Codein as opposed to look? Let me just basically fire up an instance when I need it. Um, my only valid answer to me there's a lot of answer but to me the only real valid answer is testing and and, and it's all about testing and about mocking and uh, and about responsibilities you know when you're when 
when you're writing your code on your own, then you need to test it. There's no reason not to test your code. Maybe there is if you're writing a POC, but that's all. Yeah, I would say it's always good to test your code whether you're writing yeah, on your own always, or with a team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And when you're not alone anymore, and when there's two people or more in a single team, you always, always, always need to separate responsibilities. And that's what interfaces and dependency injection allow you to do. It's, okay, I give you this interface, and you can use this object only via this interface because that's the contract. And how I implement it shouldn't matter. Sure, and I'm not denying that. But what I'm saying is that, you know, when I have, like, let's again take an example that you have on, on your uh, documentation. You say, I have a class presenter, right? And then I yeah. have a database that I'm passing in and a random generator that I'm passing in. What, why would I use coding as opposed to when I want to actually create that class presenter, I just pass in the instances myself. Like if you're talking about XML, you can argue that, uh, you know, I basically can vary the XML without having to recompile the code and it can, you know, pass in different implementations. If you're talking about uh, independence injection frameworks that use essentially a registry and use a reflection whereby I have a central point where in that central point I configure all of the different implementations that I want for all of my different uh, interfaces, you could argue that, okay, if tomorrow I want to change something, I just have to change it in that central point. But if we're talking about a framework where I essentially have to write some code to create these instances, then what benefit does this give me over me just creating those instances? What what you're describing is, to me, it, it's the it's the code as data um, shenanigan. Is do you is it good to write data as code? That that's that's what you're asking, right? If you're referring to data as like the configuration of the container, is that yes. what you mean? Yeah, I, I guess yeah. Well, it it adds an a layer of of uh, of of certainty, which is the compile the, the the compiling. When you write XML, then you don't really know what you're if you're doing is is right until it until it runs. And by using code as data compilers, are sufficiently fast to not be a problem to recompile. I I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess what I was asking was a little bit different uh, okay. in terms of like, you know, again, there's there's a very strong argument against dependency injection frameworks, right? Which is why do I need to bring in a dependency injection framework to create a new instance of a class for me? Why can't I just create that instance of the class myself? Passing in the corresponding uh parameter, uh, the corresponding arguments. So I'm not arguing against having interfaces and classes. I'm just saying that if I have a class controller that takes a, a, a repository, right? When I actually create an instance of the class controller, I could also create the instance of the repository and pass it in, as opposed to use a framework such as Codein or Coin or, or any other DI framework that okay. you want. So right? 
But to me, that's doing dependency injection, but by hand. Correct. So I should have just asked you, like, what is the benefit of me using codeine over doing dependency injection by hand? Oh, a a, a lot of things that uh, that are hard to do by hand, like uh, using like using scoping, like using singletons, like using thread local singletons, like having. Uh, like having a clear error when you when you have uh, cyclic dependencies, all that stuff that makes th that's hard to do by hand. Of course, if you just need an an instance and do it by hand, then it's easy. And if you need a singleton, of course, then you can just use the object syntax of Kotlin. But when you're writing a server, for example, and you need something scoped to the request or scoped to the session, when you're having a lot of dependencies and suddenly there's a loop and you don't really understand the cyclic dependencies, all that is taken care of by by coding if you have for example a cyclic dependencies then coding will write a very clear error explaining how did the dependency went cyclic and what are the different steps what are the different trends and dependencies that leads to this loop and that is very very hard to do by hand okay and that that's that's the point that i wanted you to uh, make to get to right because it's not only about uh, separating the actual configuration of my implementations from the code. It's also about the entire memory mon management model that that it brings with it, right? Right. It's it's the ease of use and it's the entire memory management of the instances, the configurators, the fact that you can use a context, the fact that you can cache instances and all that. Right. And And to be... Well, I mean, one of the other questions that I was going to ask you is like, how is this different to coin? But at the end of the day, you're saying to me that this actually came about before coin, right? So it, it was, uh, you know, you actually didn't have any kind of dependency injection and framework in Kotlin. And you essentially wrote the first one that there was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. Now there is a, to me, coin, there is a very, very important difference between coin and coding is that coin focuses very much on simplicity while coding focuses on correctness and features. So there's a, coding is a lot more complicated than coin if you want, but there's a lot more features. So one of the other things that I've noticed on your, uh, description of codein is that which is very very uh, surprising to me actually is that it's multi-platform right yeah so that right. th this is not only for uh kotlin targeting the jvm but it's also for kotlin targeting javascript and native right so tell me more about that because that is very interesting well um what I've always believed in Kotlin multi-platform. First, it was only Kotlin JS, and when I decided that I would invest in Kotlin, uh, I knew that Kotlin JS wasn't stable, but was going to be once. And I've always found it really interesting because, you know, JavaScript, anything but. So uh, when I knew that Kotlin was going to compile to JavaScript. I was really happy because I really believe that uh, JavaScript should only be a target. Nobody should write in JavaScript. In JavaScript, it, it should only be a compiling target. So I, I was really happy that 
Kotlin would focus on multi-platform. And then they you announced Kotlin native, and it was like a false secret that you would target iOS. And, and I've always believed that, you know, it, it's it's a very, very interesting road for Kotlin to take because it it's very interesting to write business code in Kotlin. And to me, the first, the central part of business code is the dependency injection uh, framework because it's the, the, the component that connects every other component between them. So when I start a project, the first thing I do is to, to, to configure a dependency injection framework. So I thought that it would be very interesting to have coding to be multi-platform because as being the central component of an, any application, having a DI library that is multi-platform is the first thing that I would uh, that I was that I would look for as a multi-platform developer. And so Kotlin was was uh, coding sorry coding was compatible with Kotlin JS quite early on, and then Kotlin native. Uh, uh, started and I worked a lot with uh, Nikolai. He he was amazing to 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 be true, and he helped me a lot. And we I ported Kotlin coding sorry coding to Kotlin native. You've got coding now compiling to JavaScript. So out of curiosity, how many requests do you actually get for that? Or how, how many people ping you and say, hey, something's not working in, ta in targeting JavaScript? Are, are people actually using it? No. No. <laughs> I, I wish they were. And I'm actually using it in some of my side projects. But uh, there's not a lot of love at the moment for Kotlin to, Java, to JavaScript. And why do you think that is? Like all honesty, what, why do you feel, why do you think that there isn't love for, for it? Um, you can talk completely <laughs> openly. I, I will. Um, I think, first of all, because, um, because there's a history of uh, JVM languages trying to compile to JavaScript. And that history do not speak in favor of Kotlin JavaScript. And I believe a lot of people are just aren't even trying to compile Kotlin to JavaScript because they assume it's going to be bad. Because, you know, there was some project that was trying to uh, cross-compile Java to JavaScript, and it was a mess, to, to be polite. So I think there's a history of that. And there's another reason. It's that because you can do anything in JavaScript, like in two lines of code, then there's a whole lot of programmers that are only JavaScript programmers. And to be honest, web programming, I'm happy to, if I were to work on a very complicated full stack project, I would be happy to leave a JavaScript developer do uh, UI and front end stuff because it's a pain and because it's a speciality in itself and because I would, 
be happier if I would work on the backend. So I think that there's a lot of web developers that only know JavaScript. And when there's web stuff to be done, then they are the guy that we turn to. Don't know if I make sense. Totally. Uh, but I would also add to that. So I, I think that's interesting, right? Because you're, you know, you're saying that we've got the prejudice of past attempts at this failing, and maybe that is uh, producing bias towards people of not wanting to try it. I also personally think that there's another issue in, in that, you know, web developers uh, are used to a certain set of tools and telling a web developer that you need the JDK or, you know, well, the JVM and you needed Gradle and Maven, although now I think that we support Webpack. But there was that kind of like the, uh, what do you call it? The um, impotence mismatch between tooling as well, I think, that has often caused people to uh, not look at this, right? Because at the end of the day, if you take something like TypeScript, well, TypeScript, yeah, it's just a little NPM node package that translates or transpiles TypeScript to JavaScript, right? You don't need the whole JVM to to do this. So, right. I mean, personally, I think that that also has played a factor to it. But, you know, we are investing heavily in JavaScript, right? I mean, I think there's around six people and, now. And you team. should. It's a, I've used it many times, and it's an amazing technology. But yeah. Every time I speak to to a developer that do not that that, that haven't looked for uh, deeply into Kotlin JavaScript, the first question they always ask me is, "How the hell are they transpiling the JVM uh, classes?" And that's what they are worried about, like lists and strings and arrays and 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 thread locals and all that stuff. How is it transpiled to JavaScript? And the first thing I need to, I, I want them to understand it, that it isn't transpiled to JavaScript because it's not Java code, it's not Java bytecode that you are compiling, it's Kotlin code. But that's why I was saying that, uh, that past attempts, you, you have the prejudice of past attempt failures. It's that because most of the developer I've talked to about Kotlin to JavaScript do not understand that Kotlin JVM and Kotlin JavaScript are different ecosystems that can be linked by Kotlin multi-platform, which is another ecosystem that makes the link. But if you're writing code for Kotlin to do Kotlin JVM, and if you're writing writing code for Kotlin JS, you're not writing necessarily the same code, and it's not compiled the same way. And that's what what is misunderstood at the moment. I I suppose that's my experience. Yeah. So regarding the native side of it, because you you said you know if I'm starting to write something that's multi-platform, the first thing that I'm going to look at is something like a, you know a dependency injection framework. So you said that you target JVM, JavaScript, and native. Native means also iOS. Of course. Okay, so it, it mainly means iOS. Yeah, right, it mainly means iOS. <laughs> um, well, no, you know, I'm I'm creating a really really small command line tool, and I need dependency injection framework. <laughs> so, um, so, what is the uptake on that side? Are people using it on the native side? Do you get any requests there, or or you just decided to do it? 
so when I decided to do it, I didn't have any request because, you know, Kotlin native was just announced and it wasn't stable at all. And so nobody was using it. So when I created, I didn't have any request, but now I do have some requests for using it. Uh, I know that some people are using it. Yeah. And I do have some, some requests for uh, specific features. That's very good to hear, actually. And taking a broader view, which I, I honestly have to say to you, uh, and my apologies, because I was not aware of what was going on. Uh, I went to codein.org because I've always gone to Codein on the GitHub site, sure. right? Mm -hmm. And I go to codein.org and I see Codein framework and I see what you're talking about now because you are basically creating a whole set of uh, libraries slash frameworks, whatever you want to call them, that is going to be multi-platform. I mean, I'm seeing Codein DB, which is for databases. You've got Codein MVP for MVP architecture, Codein Log for logging and reporting, uh, Codein Sync for DB and DTO synchronization. So this is what you were talking about when you said Codein framework? Yes, absolutely. Nice. So you're basically creating all of these different uh, modules to basically enable people to do multi-platform development with Kotlin. Yes, that's the idea. That's very cool. Very cool. So the, if I may. Uh, you may, uh, absolutely. So the idea is uh, that uh, Kotlin multi-platform is for business code. Right, it's it's the or at least it's my main idea. I, I I've never enjoyed a mobile application that has exactly the same UI and UX on the web, Android and iOS. You know, I'm a hardcore Android user and developer. And when I use an application that is either a web app disguised or it has a clearly iOS look, it, it pains me. And most of the time I would uninstall the application. So I don't believe in having the exact same application uh, in in every platform. However, my experience, I've worked with several startups on several products. My experience is that the UI code can is often 20 to 40% of the app. So the 60 to 80% remaining can be abstracted and can be called business code. And that code needs to be tested as much as possible, and you need to have a level of trust on that code that most of the time need to be more important than the UI UX code. And for that, I truly believe that Kotlin multi-platform is an amazing solution. And now there's, you guys are maintaining a set of libraries uh, under the Kotlin X um, naming. And that's very interesting, but these are very low-level stuff, stuff like I.O., stuff like coroutines, and these aren't really opinionated. It's a, a set of tools that allow to do low-level stuff on, uh, on Kotlin multi-platform, which means everywhere. And the idea of coding is to, to be opinionated, is to say, okay, I want to do, I want to create an application that's multi-platform. If I use the coding framework, then I'll use MVP over MVVM or, or MVC. Then the database is NoSQL because 
I prefer it that way. And I use coding dependency injection library. So I use the dependency injection the way coding does. So if you're using the coding framework, then you're using a set of tools that are coherent between themselves and that allow you to quickly focus on your business code rather than on the multi-platform architecture. Yeah. And that is very, very exciting. I'm, I'm eager to see what's uh, going to come from this. But I mean, a lot of the things that I'm looking at right now on the website, it says coming soon. So what is the of kind of deadline? De deadline? What is the rough uh, estimate of when you are planning on releasing this, if you Come can on, Hadi, You know, you should never and ever ask a developer for a deadline. Oh, you should, but you, you see what you do is you you oh, you, you under-promise and over-deliver, right? So you say to me, well, I'm, I'm looking at delivering all of this in 2021, right? And then in December this year, you deliver and everyone's like, wow, this guy worked hard. So uh, the first thing I want to say that I created a company to, to support the development of this framework. So now I'm working full time on it. So because coding DI wasn't developed uh, full, I didn't develop full time on it. It was a side project uh, on my last startup. Uh, now the coding framework, I do develop it full time. I expect coding DB to be available around April maybe April, May. Um, the thing is, the coding DB already existed in Java. I, as another side project, I developed an, a, I developed an embedded NoSQL database for Android, and it was called SoberDB, and it was entirely in Java and JNI because it uses a, a C++ backend. And now I'm porting it to Kotlin and Kotlin Native, and it, the, the, the work is, is actually quite advanced. I, I think I have at least 50% of the project translated now. So, so I'm, I'm very hopeful it would be available by, by April. Sober DB, you said? Yeah, but I've never properly released it. Okay, so sober, completely opposite of, of, of being on Codeine. Right. <laughs> you got a thing with these words, huh? We got we got to talk. Yeah, you got to talk to someone from marketing and get some different type of <laughs> names for your uh, yeah. for your frameworks. Cool. That that is very cool and quite exciting. Uh so is this just you? I mean, you said that you've set up a company, but uh is it just you coding on this alone? At the moment, yes, it's just me. I'm looking uh, for associates. To be honest, I don't want to have employees at the moment because I have no clear way of making money. I have no clear business plan. And I'm looking for associate that can help me develop and create a business out of it. At the moment, I do sell some, press, uh, some services and those services allow me to live and I do build them through the coding company, but they're not related to the coding framework. Yeah, and, and you know, all rightly so, I would like to point out that you recently also became a partner, a Kotlin training certified partner uh, for JetBrains, which basically right. means that you're fully competent in Kotlin and you do give uh, training to companies. So if any company is interested, they can absolutely call you, right? 
Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm recently I I I, I did a, a a training on Kotlin native, and yeah, I I think this is going to be the main point of the training that I'm going to be selling, because you know most most of the training for Kotlin is really easy. If you're just targeting Kotlin JVM, there's a lot of documentation and there's a lot of knowledge out there. And to be honest, I haven't received any requests for you know just training to Kotlin. But uh, I think the, the the two mostly important topics for trainings right now are coroutines and Kotlin native. Yeah, and I just to also add that you got very good feedback on one of the trainings that you recently did uh, for Thank one of our much. customers. So yeah, highly recommended. Well, it's been awesome chatting with you, Salomon, and I really appreciate you taking the time. And I wish you the best of luck with coding framework. I know it's it it can seem daunting everything that you've got ahead of you, but I'm sure that you're going to Yeah, but it's very very exciting. Absolutely, I can imagine. And I have the ability to be working on it full time and I you know, it's the best project I've ever done so far. So I'm really really excited to to see how how I can create this multi-platform framework. I I'm really really excited and I'm really happy to be doing it. Well, we're very happy that you are. So best of luck with it. Thank you. Great. And uh, we'll chat some other time then. I'd be very happy to. Thank you very much. It was very pleasant to talk to you. Absolutely. Take care.